do I believe as much as uh, the devil? Uh, and uh, perhaps to put it another way, or to put it into some kind of, uh, of context of that reading just for a moment, what's the relationship, that's what we're going to talk about this morning, what's the relationship between faith and deeds, or faith and works? If you look in the Bible that was in the pew, where Chris read from, then uh, you will see it's headed faith and deeds, isn't it, in the NIV? And uh, I'm going to use the word works rather than deeds, but it's the same heading. And what James is trying to address is what's the relationship between faith and works? And it's a question that will take us this morning to the very heart of the gospel. It's a question that people have argued over ever since these words uh, were written. In fact, if you read anything about James, and particularly these verses in James, you will discover that there has been an age-old argument where people want to say that James, a big New Testament character, remember we've heard he was the brother of Jesus, the leader of the Jerusalem church, that James believes something different from Paul, another big heavyweight New Testament character who wrote a lot of the New Testament uh, as well. And they will, uh, uh, you will read that it's as if those two people are opposed to one another. And so this question, what's the relationship between faith and works, is not a, uh, just a, an intellectual and academic exercise, but the way that we answer it this morning will change and challenge the way that we live It will give us assurance about life now and in the future or not. So what's the relationship between faith and works? What's the perceived problem? Well, I need somebody, uh, in fact, I need two volunteers. I need two people uh, to help me. I need two volunteers. Is that clear? Is that English? Yeah? Two volunteers. I've got two. I've got Brian and Margaret. That's totally brilliant. I'm going to give Margaret W, uh, if you go and sit just over by there, Margaret, and I, for W for works, and Brian here, F for faith. God, you're really getting into it now, okay? So we've got works. You might want to just pause on the edge. You're going to be there for a little while, yeah? You might just want to make yourself at home and relax. There's going to be a little bit of acting coming up in a minute, something for you to think about, okay? Uh, and then we're, you happy there? Great. Okay, we're good. So, what's the perceived problem? What's the, uh, what's the tension that uh, people talk about when they think about faith and uh, works. Well, verse 14 in James, you've got to open in front of your hope, gets us going with the question. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him or her? Can it? The obvious implication and understanding is no. And just to make sure that everyone was clear, James comes back to it in verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by works, is dead. Faith and works. James is saying if all you have is faith, faith alone, then you're stuffed, basically. Your faith is dead and it cannot, will not save you. It's a dead faith. Now, I hope that you're already feeling a little bit uncomfortable, because you will know through all your Sunday school classes, and uh, I pray one or two sermons, 
you will know that we believe as Christian people that faith alone saves us, which is exactly what Paul, the other New Testament heavyweight, said. Here it is, for it's by grace that you've been saved through him, through faith, sorry, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So faith is what saves you, and it's not by works so nobody can boast. And so there is this tension that's set up between the two. James seems to be saying you need works, and Paul seems to be saying all you need is faith. So, Margaret, would you come and stand here, please? Very good. No, turn this way, turn this way. Look, look, uh, Brian, would you come and stand here, please? Uh, and would you look that way? And this is the confrontation that's set up. Look really menacing at each other, like you're angry and cross and you can't understand each other and you're opposed to each other. And whatever happens, you just can't make sense of, of you need faith and you're on about works and oh, it just doesn't work. <laughs> Fantastic. Right, you better go and sit back down just for a moment. Now, what I want you to understand is that that's not what's happening. In fact, that's a total misunderstanding. The Bible does not set these two things up in opposition, opposed to one another like that. What I want you to imagine is that, Margaret, would you come here please and face that way? And Brian, would you come here please and face that way? What I want you to understand this morning is that faith and works that James and Paul, and I can just see over the top of Brian. That's <laughs> good, isn't it? Brian, you're, you're good size, mate. You give me hope. So j- <laughs> Brian and, and Margaret gives me loads more hope, actually, than Brian. That's just fantastic. If everyone would get smaller, that would really help a lot. Okay, so um, Brian's facing that way. Uh, so Paul's facing that way. Uh, and James is facing that But they're standing together... And the reason it looks like they're opposing each other in what they're saying is that they are seeking to address different issues. Paul is addressing people who attempted to think that by doing something, they can make themselves right with God. So to these people over here who attempted to think that by their own efforts, they can get themselves right before God, Paul is saying, no, it's only faith that gets you right with God. I think we better get these guys some chairs. Otherwise, they're going to be... Here we go, look. Otherwise, they're going to be standing there for a long time. Right, you sit on that, Brian, and face that way. Or perhaps give that to Margaret, and she can face that way. Brilliant. Fantastic. So, yes, and I can see over you. You're right. So, 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 Paul wants to say... To this group of people over here, you've got to remember it's only faith that puts you right with God. It's only because Jesus died and you put your faith in him that you can be put right with God. If if, if you could earn it or achieve it by yourself, then Jesus would not have needed to die. Does that make sense? We are separated from God and none of us are perfect. Is that true? You sure? It doesn't matter whether you read the Bible every day, would you still be imperfect? Even if you helped an elderly lady across the road, 
That was a bit. Or an elderly gentleman across the road. Or you did some kind act of service. Would you still be imperfect? Even if you came to church every Sunday. Even if you fasted for a week and prayed for every nation around the globe. Even if you gave all your money to the poor. In other words, there is nothing that you can do to put yourself right with God. True or false? True. So Paul is addressing people who are tempted to think that if only they did a little bit more, then maybe by their own effort, they would be able to get themselves right with God. And Paul wants every single person to know that you can never Put yourself right with God by your own effort. It's not by works so that no one can boast. It is a gift that you receive by faith. James, on the other hand, is addressing a different group of people who are tempted to think incorrectly in a different way. You see, the people that James is addressing, they know full well that belief in Jesus, faith in Jesus, is what saves you. Do I get an amen? Amen. So a few of you agree with James. That's fantastic. That's a good start. They know that faith, that belief, is what saves them. And so this group here are tempted to keep thinking, if only we get our belief right, if we improve our belief, if we get our faith better, then we are more secure in our salvation. That makes good sense, doesn't it? That if it's about what we believe, then we need to put a lot of emphasis in making sure that we believe right. So James addresses people that over time, because they focus on getting their belief right, that end up thinking far more about belief than behavior, James ends up addressing a group of people that think that intellectual faith is all that they need. And that it doesn't matter so much about their behavior because their behavior can't rescue or save them. Only belief in Jesus can. So if they get their belief right, then everything will be all right on the night, so to speak. So they're into their belief rather than their behavior. And James's point is this. If you have faith, if you have belief in Jesus, but that faith does not change your behavior, then you never actually had faith in the first place. Say that again. James's point is this, that if you say that you have faith or belief in Jesus, but that belief does not change your behavior, then your faith is useless. You have not had true living faith at all. And see what he does in verse 19. I need to go up here because it's a, it's a preacher's moment. See, see what he does in verse uh, 19 to make his point. It's the top line of the creed. You believe that there is one God. Now, some people argue that James, uh, the book of James, is his preaching notes. So it's not kind of written out in full, but it's what he, what he would have had. We have here the first line of the creed. We need to imagine James preaching for a moment. He has a very responsive congregation. Okay, this might be a stretch. 
Okay, but I want you to imagine he has a very, very responsive congregation. So, for example, James is going, you believe that there is one God, good. And the congregation go, yes. Okay, so you believe that there is one God, good. And then imagine that he goes through the creed. You believe that Jesus was born a virgin and lived a sinless life. You believe that Jesus died in our place and was gloriously risen again. Louder. You believe that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to empower the church. Louder again. And one more time, three yeses, you believe that Jesus is coming back. And then he says, and you believe therefore that you are totally secure as a Christian. And the crowd are going wild and they go, yes, yes, yes. And James says, the demons believe every single thing that you have just said you believe in. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Ow. Is a Christian someone who only believes what the devil believes? The devil believes that Jesus saves. The devil believes it more than you. Do you know that? The devil believes Jesus is coming back again. The devil believes that the Holy Spirit on the church is the power that will rescue the world. James is saying, no, look, you've got to understand this Christian living is a living faith, a living, real, trusting, embracing of Jesus. Remember what James said right at the beginning, I am a servant, I have given everything, I have surrendered all of my life to Jesus. You cannot say that because you believe in certain things, even in Jesus, even in his death and resurrection, you cannot believe just on that alone, intellectual assent, that you are a follower, that you have embraced, that you are in his kingdom. You see, there's a world of difference, isn't there? The Orwell Bridge, Suffolk Food Hall, nice place, if you've got a small mortgage, you can play on the bouncy castle outside for free. Top tip, take a flask. <laughs> Be surreptitious about it, you know. And you can see the bridge. And you go, actually, I, I, I cannot help but believe that that bridge exists. I know that that bridge exists. There is a world of difference. Believing in that bridge and actually traveling across it. James is saying there are many people that say that they believe in Jesus as the Son of God. They believe that he died. Maybe they believe intellectually, even he died for sins, but they've never crossed that bridge. They've never embraced him into their lives. And James is alarmed that there might be people across that continent, up and down our country, that sit in our churches, who say they believe, but they've never embraced Jesus. And James is saying, if that's the extent of your faith, That faith is useless and dead, and it will not save you. But if, if you embrace Jesus, that faith will save you, but it will also change you. Real faith never exists alone. It always produces fruit. True saving faith will produce real fruit.
fruit. The fruit, the good works, doesn't save anybody. James understands that. James 1 verse 18. Just write it in your notes if you're taking notes. Look back. James believes that salvation is a gift from God. James 1.18. James is exactly the same as Paul. No difference. The fruit, the good works. Don't look now. Concentrate on what I'm saying. The good works doesn't save anyone. That was what Paul's point. That's what Paul's saying. James totally agrees with him. But if you have faith that Paul is talking about, if you have faith that saves, then you will see good works. Works are not a means of salvation, but they are evidence of it in our lives. That's a good tweet. Works are not a means of salvation, but they are evidence of it in our lives. Hashtag Jesus saves, hashtag faith that works. I can't offer you more than that. That's a freebie. Verse 24, therefore, is not a... I haven't forgotten Brian and Margaret. I'm still... You're doing great. Are they doing great? Yep, just hanging on in there. Just hanging around, just chilling. Verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Because if they cannot show what they do, if there is no fruit to their faith, then their faith is worthless. Action will always follow faith around. It's time for you to stand up. That was your big cue to get ready. Here we go. Stand up, stand up, stand up. That's it. That's brilliant. Yeah, great. Fantastic. So let's get these out of the way. So faith saves us. Big cheer. Step forward just a little bit. Works. This is going to, Margaret's going to disappear, but she is going to be behind. No, no, come here, behind her. Works always follow true faith. Big cheer. So whatever faith does, works kind of follows. So do something, Brian, and Margaret will follow. See? That's it. (laughs) Wherever faith goes, works follows. Come back this way, Brian. Oh, Steve's going mad down here. (laughs) Fantastic. If faith is wandering off and works isn't following, this is not real faith at all. Does that make perfect sense? It's obvious really, isn't it? Because Paul and, come back, sorry, Paul and James are standing back to back or side by side or totally together because you cannot find faith without works. You cannot find faith without works. And this is a very important question. A very important question. We'll wait for it to come. What are the works in you that demonstrate, therefore, that you are a person of living faith? We might say, I go to church, I read my Bible, and I pray. All of those things would be totally true. But James goes straight for something else. He says, hey, if you've got faith, then acts of mercy will follow. Widows and orphans, verse 27 of chapter 1. A bias to the poor, as we heard last week. And now verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, James is saying, in the same way that that act or non-act of mercy does not rescue and save those guests from their physical condition, 
Neither will your faith, if that's all it is, save you from your standing before God. So in summary, should we let these two sit down? I think we're kind of as good as done with you guys. A massive round of applause for these guys. Faith and, and work, standing back to back, standing together. Paul and James both use Abraham as the example. So Paul makes his arguments in the book of Romans. And you can read it there, and you can see that he uses Abraham to illustrate his point. James, you will notice here, uses Abraham to illustrate his point. That's because they are back to back. These guys are standing together. Both know that only faith saves. Both know that true faith results in fruit. Paul will talk about going from glory into glory. They both know that real faith produces real fruit. So, what have we got? We've got these two giants in the New Testament, both defending the church from falling into two different opposing temptations. Which one, which temptation do we need help not to fall into? Are you tempted to be like the group that Paul was addressing, that you think that somehow by your works, by your efforts, you can get yourself right before God. And as I said some moments ago, this is kind of how it works. Here I am, I'm standing separated from God because I'm not perfect. I know that comes as a shock to some of you, but I haven't got it all together, right? And I'm walking into my day, you're left to right, I'm walking into my day, and there's an opportunity to do some good act of service. I wasn't perfect, so I can't, I'm not right with God by myself over here. There's an act of service here. If I do the act of service, that might be a good thing. Does that put me any more in connection with God? No, not at all. Let's be really clear. Doing something good does not get you right or give you favor with God. You know that, don't you? You're just shy and quiet, aren't you? Yeah? Doesn't, and you walk on to your day. No difference at all. Are we in danger of thinking? If only during my day I do enough good things, then by the end of the day, I will be a little more right with God than when I began. That is a lie. And that's what Paul is so hopping mad about a lot of the time. That's why he tells the Galatians in his most pastoral way, you foolish group of idiots, basically. That's my rough translation of the Greek. He's really angry with them. Because they're beginning to think that you've got to do some certain things as, as if, as if we can do some little tiny good things and get ourselves put right with God. You can't. Do I think like that? Some of us are tempted to think like that. If only I do a little bit more, then I will be right with God. Or perhaps more subtle, am I trying to earn God's love, God's favor by doing the things that I do? I wake up this morning, how much does God love me? I'm not that sure. So I will do some things today in order to try and get God to love me. I do act one, maybe God loves me a bit more. I do gracious act two, maybe God loves me a little bit more. Ooh, I missed act three. Oh, no, does that set me back with God's love? Is that the truth? No, it's not the truth. It might be the truth about how we behave, but it's not the truth. Here I am. God loves me unconditionally. He thinks I'm wicked, well smart, cool, loves me to bits, delights in me, and you too, in case you're getting jealous, yeah? Okay, so God totally loves me. Could God love me any more when I woke up this morning? 
So if I do something good, will he love me more? No, because he totally loves me. He totally, totally loves me before I open my eyes. So it doesn't matter how many good things I've done this morning, and I've done loads, just so you know. It doesn't make any difference whatsoever. God does not love me anymore. Now, now, God totally loves me here, doesn't he, this morning? Totally, totally loves me. What if I miss the good work here? Now, I'm past, I've missed it. Does God love me any less? So why do we act like he does? Why do we clock up good works as if they make us right with God or as if they help God love us more? Anyone know what I'm talking about? A really good question to ask yourself when you come to doing something good, am I driven by duty or desire? Most of us are driven by duty if we're not careful. It's a mix of emotions at all. We, we desire to do the right thing. But there is duty mixed in there. The duty is if I perform this action, then I, God will be pleased with me. He'll love me a little bit more. I'll be closer to him. It's skibbity hop. Uh, and so I, I, but then maybe I've got to do another one and I get into this cycle of I've got to do a little bit more and I've got to do a little bit more and I've got to do a little bit more. And I had a good day because I did three good deeds, so God's thumbs up. And then I have a bad day and I do three bad things and God's down and my relationship with God has gone up and down like this and it's just all over the place. Am I driven by duty? Are my acts of service fueled by the flesh or fueled by faith? Do I desire to do a good thing because Jesus loves me and I just want to love people because he loves me? Or am I trying to do it out of a sense of duty to get something back? A really telltale question is this. Would you still do it if God wasn't looking? God wasn't looking. Forget about other human beings. God's not looking. Would you still do it? Or would you think it doesn't really count because I need him to see? Because if he sees, then he'll be a little bit more pleased with me than he is already. No, 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 no. All the way over here. God totally loves me. And I can choose to be right with God because I put my faith in Jesus, or I can choose to be not right with him because I haven't done that yet. And it doesn't matter what I do, how many times a day, what opportunities they come, my successes and my failures do not matter one little bit. And that's what Paul's saying. Look, it's faith that gets you into relationship with God and keeps you there. Who's glad about that? Hey, man, what a nightmare if it's, you're clocking up the things that you've done and haven't done and should have done. What a total... People live like that. Christians live like that. People in our churches live like that. And they might not speak it out loud as clearly as I've said this morning, but it, it runs as a worry underneath the surface. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Do you know, slightly, we kind of buy into that. And I think one of the saddest things is that, is that we translate that too into some of our other relationships sometimes. Do I... Do I behave like that in my other relationships too? Do I so want to be right with people? Do I so want people to love me that I do more and more good and kind things towards those people because I want them to love me? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Huh. Silence, because you do. Uh, and, and I'm not sure whether they really love me or really like me, so I'm going to do a few more nice things and, and maybe they will like me and love me a bit more because of that. I want these people to value me. Look, that doesn't work either. It ends in massive disappointment and exhaustion because love is a gift and you cannot earn it. Does that make sense? If I'm trying to earn your love by loving you, I'm not really loving you, I'm loving myself. And I'm not even creating the opportunity for you to love me because I'm making, I'm kind of trying to earn it from you. And so relationships become, oh, heavy, strained, difficult. We all 
need Jesus. And when his love is flowing through our lives, I'm going to love you because I'm full of his love. And if you love me back, that's going to be brilliant and we're going to celebrate the love and the life of Jesus in me. But if you don't love me back, hey, I'm going to love you anyway because he poured his love into me. And that's the gospel. That's what we're invited to enter into. The other area, so we're over this side, people that James are addressing, we may as well give James the last word. The other error that we have to fight with equal uh, vigor is this. Do I think that my beliefs alone are enough? Do you? Do you think that your beliefs alone are enough? Hey, you a Christian? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Do you? Great. Even the demons do that. Do I believe, or am I only believing as much as the devil? To believe only as much as the devil is to be heading to a lost eternity. To be believing only as much as the devil is to be heading to a lost eternity. Can you find a loophole in these verses? Because the whole of Christendom would be interested if that be the case. What James is saying, if your faith is only intellectual assent, doesn't matter how perfectly formulated that faith or belief is, doesn't matter if your theology is way better than the greatest writers that have ever written theology, the devil's theology is better than that. He understands the truth about Jesus and death and resurrection and judgment and all that's coming. He understands all of that. Believing those things is not marked is not what marks us out as a Christian. Am I trusting my beliefs, my religious habits, to demonstrate that I'm really a follower of Jesus? You see, James, it's another little bit of a rant. You see, James is a pastor, and he's been around for long enough. And he knows that for two a penny, people say, I love Jesus. I believe Jesus died for me. And they've never embraced him. They've never surrendered their lives to him. They've never sought to walk in obedience before him. They've never discovered a faith that changes them as much as it rescues them. Final question. What about me today? Would tell James that I was a Christian. If James had preached the sermon, James chapter 2, verses whatever to whatever it was, and he said, so tell me, how how do I know you're a Christian? What you couldn't say, hey, I've got faith, James. Because James would say, so where are the works? What, What about you would tell James this morning that you are a Christian? You might be tempted to say, well, I'm here in church on a Sunday. But that would be to kind of miss the point, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? To miss the point. Let's pray.